0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Is anyone else thankful to be together today? I feel like we should just do a corporate group hug after thinking back it was last year this time this Sunday that we uh the world shut down and I was remembering that moment I was we were on our elder retreat and I was so pumped up about you know one of the fears is that uh the the core discipleship unit that God put together is the family and men are to be the leaders of their family and in the spiritual realm and you have the fear that that in my own life, others that maybe the church takes the, the primary place and, and husbands would abdicate their leadership role and not be leading their homes. And so what if we shut down church and we did church at home was one of our thoughts before COVID hit. Like, you know, and take a Sunday and, and the men lead their family worship. And so when that first Sunday came last year, we were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Here we go, man, great opportunity for, you know, just family worship. And I was so fired up, little did I know I would grow to absolutely hate the concept <laughs> of, of having to be away from everybody and uh, just praise God for the opportunity to, to get together. And I you talk about COVID takeaways, but things that will, I, I don't think I'll ever be the same. I'm sure you have yours, but just the gift of together. And it's weird, like when Hebrews says, hey, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, you know, even more as you see the day approaching. There's some things we understand about that, but other things, it's hard to even quantify. And last week it hit me. I saw Larry and Eva Hindergart sitting over there. Um, this morning I see Rick and Kathy Baker and uh, precious brothers and sisters in Christ. I, won't, I may not even talk. I didn't even talk to Larry and Eva. But just seeing them, lit me up. And, and throughout the week, I thought about Larry and Eva. And it's just like, hey, my brother and sister who follows Jesus is here running after him. And I, I picture it as, you know, in the mini marathon, you can watch the, the uh, marathon on TV, like, like love watching the Boston marathon or whatever. But when you watch that, does that fire you up to go run a marathon? Usually it doesn't totally pump me up to go do that. It's, wow, look at those people. But <laughs> But when you, uh, if you sign up for like the mini marathon and you go to pick up your packet at the convention center in Indy, and all of a sudden it's like a, feels like, you know, thousands of runners are walking down this uh, hallway and they're all, you know, wearing their running shoes and they're all ready for the race. And, and you're like, and then you pick up your packet and you get your shirt. And, and you show up that next morning and you're like, if you're not in the race, you want to be in the race. It's, it's the power of together, isn't it? It's just like, and I feel like the gathering on Sunday is like that, where we just, you know, and it, we, you can grow weary in your race and grow weary, but when you get together and you got a bunch of Jesus followers who are just like, let's go. It just fires you up, doesn't it? And so praise God that we can be here, and, and uh, but thank, thank him for all he taught us. He taught us a lot this past year, didn't he? And and, uh, but good to be together. Well, just a, a heads up today as we're reliving another moment in the life of Jesus. Wes came back a couple years ago from a worship school and said he, he had a helpful spectrum that helps us think through putting our, our worship services together. On the one side, you have high comfort. So this would be like where Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Last year, our Psalm series, where celebration of hope, we needed that for our soul, and it was a high comfort series. On the other side of the spectrum, you have high challenge, where Jesus says, "It'd be an example would be, take up your cross, come follow me, let's die together. And so on this spectrum, often even within messages, you have a mixture of both comfort, and challenge. But often a a Sunday will lean one way or another. And one of our challenges or hopes is that we balance that so that um, if you lean too high on comfort, you get a a cozy church and just all cozy, but no action. If you lean too high on challenge, you get a stressed out church. So balancing those two. But today is about challenge. (laughs) So just a heads up, it's a high challenge. Next Sunday is going to be a High comfort, off-the-chart comfort. It's also, while I'm giving heads up, we're about to experience a very uh, awkward moment, an awkward dinner moment. And for those of you who are like my wife, Tam, who have the gift of helping people feel comfortable, this this might be stressful for you. (laughs) And I was thinking, Tam is so good. You know when you're at a dinner or social setting and it gets awkward and you don't know what to say? And you're like, man, I know it's awkward, but I wish I could say something. But if I say something, it's going to be even more awkward. She has that gift of always saying the right thing. It's beautiful to watch. And it just makes everybody feel comfortable. And her goal when you get together is just help other people feel comfortable in that setting. If that's you, this, uh, this could be tough because there is no helping this awkward moment. It's just awkward. So here we go. Luke chapter 11, verse 37 says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. So we're having to, think about the setting here, we're having dinner with a a really important person in this culture, a Pharisee. We know that uh, the Pharisee group, God really puts them central to the life and times of Jesus. And we, uh, those of you who have, are familiar with the Pharisees, our immediate reflex is okay. These are the they're the villains, right? They're the we we categorize them into that you know cold-hearted, oppressive legalist who just doesn't get it. And we uh, we certainly don't identify with the Pharisee as we read through the Gospels, do we? That, that's not really us. We uh, we actually low-key mock them, just like how how could these guys not get it? The, uh, but you have to ask, why does God allow them to play such a crucial role, such a visible role as he records the life of Jesus for us? Why is that? And sure enough, upon further review, <laughs> the Pharisees are a lot like us. Um, they, uh, they have a very high view of Scripture. They, they know the Word of God. They value the Word of God, and they're passionate to live it out willing to take stands, social stands, to, to be right in God's eyes. They, uh, they believe God's word isn't just for the religious elite, which it had tended to be for the priests and the Levites. They put God's word into, into the hands of the common people, such, similar to what the, the uh, Reformation did for, for us. And they are actually the ones who, who are behind the synagogue movement. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the synagogues. Anytime you had 10 Jewish families, you started a synagogue, which was all about teaching the Word of God. And so they're the ones that, that are just fueling this and behind this. Not only do they oversee the, the teaching of Scripture, they also oversee the, the transmission of oral tradition. So from way back, there were traditions that were passed on from generation to generation which would help you keep God's Word. They weren't written in God's Word, but they were the things that you would do order your life. And we know traditions are good things. Traditions are what cultures do, people do, um, around what we value. And these were, these were important, and these are the people who upheld these traditions. So Pharisees are good people. They're middle class, highly respected, moderate. They're a balanced uh, group within the groups in Jesus' day. We'll go ahead and put this chart on the screen. If you think about the different groups on the left would be your more... Uh, or more liberal, and then to the right, you're highly conservative group. So you had the Herodians that were, you know, um, not a lot of, uh, they were kind of drifting into Rome and, and all of that. Then the Sadducees, they were religious, but, but not as, uh, you know, set on God's word as were the Pharisees. They were the separated ones, the uh, middle class. You have two camps here within the, the Pharisees, but I um, really wanted to follow God's word. And then you have the uh, zealots on the, the far right, who we know Jesus had a, uh, a zealot in his 12, and then uh, we know Paul was a Pharisee, the, the, uh, an apostle as well. So if you're invited to the Pharisee's house, it's an honor, which makes, accentuates this as an awkward moment. What happens next? Verse 38 says, But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So the question becomes, okay, why was he so surprised that Jesus, and we have elevated hand-washing in our day as well with with COVID, but but for them, what's the big deal with hand-washing? And we know this was part of the oral tradition. Not um, cleanliness was a, a big deal in the law, but they had ways to wash hands where um, if you really loved God, you would wash your hands, and you would do it a certain way, and they actually just explained. You would start, and you'd start at the fingertips, and then you'd do your palms, and you would not just wash before a meal. You would wash between courses, and so you could identify, you know, people who were uh, really trying to, to love God, please God by the fact that they would wash their hands, and it actually became a sin not to, in their eyes not to wash your hands before a meal. So you can imagine the shock when Jesus walks in and blows right through this massive tradition that these people were, were following and just starts eating. And his, his disciples were doing the same. It was an awkward moment. The Pharisee is obviously surprised at what he's doing. So for us, I was trying to think, what would that be? What would be similar for us? What's a tradition we have? Not written in the Bible, but it's something we do. And it hit me. At the meal, it'd be like, imagine you had the opportunity to have the Lord come to your house today for dinner. Chicken fried, chicken mashed potatoes, green beans are set on the table, plates are full, and now you come to that moment, we're going to pray before the, the Lord. And you've been practicing your prayer for like two weeks, getting ready for this. He just starts eating. He blows right through the prayer. What's he doing? We pray before we eat. And if you're really spiritual, you even pray when you go out to eat. Or if you're a high school student, you pray at the lunch table and then you're like way up in the eyes of God. Jesus didn't pray. What's going on? It would mess with you for a couple bites, wouldn't it? (laughs) It is so easy to allow our human traditions to become markers of spirituality. You're a leader, you pray when people ask you to, does someone want to pray? leader, step up and... Well, Jesus, he he does not back down. He steps right into this awkward moment. In verse uh, 39... Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, you fools. You Imagine hearing that at this this moment. Did not the one who made the outside also make the inside, the heart? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean to you. Or he's saying, let your inside be the focus. And when the inside is clean, then the, uh, the externals, the rest will, will be clean. And so what's the big problem that, that Jesus is driving at here? And the problem is this. They're focused on the external traditions rather than the heart condition. And here Jesus is confronting them and confronting us with what matters most is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. He's calling them to prioritize a clean heart, to pursue a clean heart, because when our heart is clean before God, then the externals will be cleaner right before him. So the challenge today as we uh, move through this moment is to identify with the Pharisee and to confront the Pharisee within me, to... uh, to confront the tendency within us to focus on the externals and ignore the internals. Isn't it interesting how it is so easy for our relationship with God to deteriorate into a list of rules and rituals and and practices, and our heart can can become far can drift from Him and drift from what matters most. And so. This text, it's, it's a tough one, it's high challenge, but what a gift it is to us. And I think the gift is it just it has a purifying effect on our hearts. And so, we, uh, as we watch it play out, there are three blind spots that our Lord points out. And he uh, continues on there in verse 42, or the first blind spot is this. This is a blind spot that threatens the Pharisees, it threatens us as well. And it's this, you're missing the main thing which is to do justice and to, uh, to love God. We see that in verse 42 as, as he says, woe to you Pharisees. The word woe is a, a de- declaration of judgment or like you're a mess, you're in trouble. Remember Isaiah said that when he realized that he was unclean before God. He said, woe is me. And Jesus is saying, woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs but you neglect the justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And so here he's saying, okay, you guys are out in your garden <laughs> picking, you don't, God didn't say you had to tithe on your herbs. On, on, but you're out there saying, I'm so I'm so right before God. I'm not just gonna give what God told me to give. I'm gonna give some. You know, um, you list the, the herbs there, the rue and, and the, uh, my green beans. I'm even going to tithe my sweet corn. And I'm going to give a little bit of a, you know what, I'm, I'm even going to tithe on my stimulus check. There, there's not a category for that, but I'm going I'm, to, I'm so, and, and we're feeling all good about ourselves. And God is saying, you guys are missing the point. Your heart is far from God. You are neglecting what matters most, which is justice for the oppressed, social justice, and a love for God. Somehow their hearts had grown cold towards God and cold towards what got, mattered to God, which was people, and specifically oppressed people. And you say, How cold, how hard, how blind were they? These people who knew the most about the word of God missed God when he was sitting at the dinner table. <laughs> How scary is that? She you think about our own capacity to miss it and even miss him. You fools. Now when somebody calls you a fool, at your dinner table, at your house, you, we have, you have a choice. What, what, how do you respond to that? Either you're convicted and humbled and they have a point, or you kick them out the door. <laughs> All right, so here comes the tough part of this message. And you know I love you. I'm your friend. And I'm saying this to myself too. But, but I just want this to land on, on you. On me, like, it needs to land on us. So, you guys ready for this? You're a fool. You're a fool. I'm a fool. I have missed the main thing while focused on minor things. (laughs) I have, you have, probably this week, Caught up in keeping the, the traditions, keeping the rules, keeping the, and I failed to love God and have his heart towards people. Well, Jesus could stop there, but he doesn't. He goes on. He says in verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues. And respectful greetings in the marketplace. And the second blind spot he says is, or that he points to is, you're all about you. You're living to look good, gain respect, admiration. You want people to think you care about God, but actually, as you serve God, all you care about is impressing them with yourself. You think about what's going on in the heart of God right here and how. He must be getting fired up when he says, you fools, you're worried about clean hands. (laughs) You're looking at me surprised that I didn't wash my hands for your meal and I'm looking in your heart and I see putrid pride as you put on this religious show, all worried about, hey, even as you pray, praying to impress rather than just talking to me you enjoy the, the respected seats, the, the seat of teaching in the synagogue, um, that people look to you as the answer person, you know, and, and you enjoy those greetings in the marketplace, and they respect you, and you're a, a person of standing because of, it's like, man, the toxin of pro, tox, pride, the toxin of our soul, it runs deep, doesn't it? It taints even our desires to serve the Lord, and and uh, reveals our blind spot, but Jesus goes on. He says, um, and what he says next may cut the deepest for the Pharisees in this, in this setting. In verse forty-four, as he says, "Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it." The third blind spot is you're hurting the very people that you think you're helping. In this culture, when someone died or was buried. If you were around that person or, or you were near that, touched the grave, you were unclean, considered ceremonially unclean for seven days, and you had to quarantine from religious things. So we know all about that. You don't want to be close to somebody who's got the virus or, you know, you're out for a while. Here, if you walked over a grave, a grave wasn't marked, you would be unclean for seven days. So they were very careful to mark their graves so that you could just sidestep them and stay clean and stay in the, the rhythm of life. And what Jesus is saying here to these guys, can you imagine how offensive that is? He's saying, you are like unmarked graves. Not only are you unclean, when you get around, the, around people, you make those people unclean, and you don't even know it, and they don't even know it. <laughs> these people had given their lives to help people be clean before God or right before God. And Jesus is saying, not only are you guys not right before God— you just living is causing other people to be not right before God. You talk about offensive. Um, maybe wondering, okay, exactly how are these people hurting the very people that they were hoping to be helping? And the, question, the answers to that are many, but Jesus answers that question one way in what he says next in verse 45. This next moment is almost comical if it wasn't, Involving real people who are being hurt by how these people were living, but it, it was uh, it says forty five. One of the experts in the law answered him, "Teacher, what, when you say these things, you insult us also." So, the expert in the law is the scribe. He's a Pharisee, but he's a scribe. So he's he's like a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the guy who actually knows the oral traditions, guards the law, all these things, and he's like the the main guy. He's like the heavy, stepping in saying, Jesus, you're you're like offending us. Tone it down. And can you you imagine that Jesus is like talking to the Pharisee, and then he's like, you want a bit of this? Okay. (laughs) Woe to you, Jesus replied, and to the experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift a little finger to help them. What's he mean? You put on laws, you put on traditions, you're adding all these things on these people. That it, to keep everything, you, it has to be a 50-hour job. They, they can't do it, and they just want to give up. You're putting a barrier between them and God, and you won't lift a finger. You don't care about them. You care about yourself. Woe to you guys as well. So how do these guys respond Well, when a hard truth lands on a humble heart, it leads to life and change and joy, doesn't it? But when a hard truth lands on a hard heart or a pride-filled heart, what happens? It's rock on rock, sparks fly, and and a fight begins. And sure enough, a fight breaks out. In uh, Dropping down to verse 53, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. And besiege him. A siege is where you put that circle around a city and you're just like you're surrounded to attack. And that's what they began to do. Besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. And these good people would be the ones who would eventually lead to, to him being crucified. This raises a, an important question for us today. And how do you respond? How do I respond when we receive a hard truth? when God gives us a glimpse of the, the impurity of our own heart. Thursday evening, I was cleaning out Tam's car and uh, vacuuming the inside of it. And it was in our garage at night. And I thought, man, this looks great. Got it all done and wiped her down and looks great. Friday, pull out with the sunshine and realized, whoa, there were spots everywhere and still dirt. And, you know, I was thinking, isn't that a, a picture of the spiritual life? When we're comparing ourselves with each other and our own rules and regulations as to our own system of holiness, we look pretty good. That guy, I'm pretty good compared to that guy, that guy. But as we get close to the Lord and his holiness, the sunlight of who he is, it it just, like, woe is me. Woe is me, woe is me. The gift of woe, the gift of these woes, the gift of woe is that it awakens good people to their need, our need of God's grace, even today. That I'm a mess, even today. And so may we humbly accept God's word to us this morning. So here's the challenge of the day. Confront the Pharisee in me with three questions. Three questions that help purify our hearts. And as we fire these questions at our hearts, they help us to live with a clean heart as we follow Christ Three questions that are aimed at each one of these blind spots that we see. The first question is this, am I missing the main thing? Back to verse 42, where he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint and your rue and other kinds of garden herbs, but you have neglected the justice, the social justice, and the love of God. So am I, as I do what I'm doing, am I doing it with a focus on loving God and also loving people? Have I lost sight of the why? Of, of what I'm doing. Is my heart aligned with God? It's interesting, we're in a man, culturally charged season, um, perfect storm coming through COVID, and lots of opportunities for us to get mad at each other and social groups, but even, it was interesting when, I will never forget when uh, George Floyd knee on his back and neck that took his life, and he said, I can't breathe, and that that would be a, I remember thinking those are words of a movement. I think God probably gave him those words to say, and um, racial oppression is something that happens, and is race racism is a part of every heart, um, but in our country, we, we know the history, but then here comes Black Lives Matter, and they take it to the extreme, and we know that's not a healthy Group, but but as they start to go big, and, and as uh, media picks it up, and we get slammed with all this stuff that that may be to an extreme, what's our response? Is a majority. Now we start defending ourselves, right? I'm not a racist. Rather than seeking social justice, of all the times in the history of our country, what a great opportunity to to say, we're not going to get. And, and what's the devil trying to do? division right wants to take our eyes off what matters most that's loving and and uh start defending ourselves and get all caught up in the fight rather than saying church let's go love and let's keep our eyes on what matters most the uh second question to, to aim at our blind spot is this about me to to just ask ourselves as we do life, is this about me? Verse 43, what are you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace? Am I doing what I'm doing for my name or for his name? Am I really living for the glory, his glory, or am I using God for my glory? It's so refreshing to fix our eyes on Jesus, isn't it? The one we follow how he lived, like, he made no reputation. Um, He, he, uh, at Philippians 2, the kenosis, made himself nothing. Like, when he came, he made himself nothing. (laughs) And then he says, follow me. And I think about how much of my life is ordered to make myself something. And when Jesus came, he, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature, not of, we use the word servant, but it's literally doulas in the Greek, it's slave. He became a slave for us. And it just moves us to ask, you know, is this, am I living for me? A helpful test is, am I willing to take the lowest position on the team? Am I willing to take the worst job, you know? That needs to be done. Am I, am I okay when everybody overlooks me and everybody else gets the credit? Am I excited when the other person succeeds and, or is this about me? And then the third question to, to fire at our hearts that goes to that third blind spot, am I hurting the very people I should be helping, is am I an oppressive legalist or a humble servant? When people are around me, do they walk away feeling discouraged, feeling less, feeling judged, feeling just like I can't live up, burdened by rules and traditions? When people are around me, do they walk away feeling measured? Or do they walk away feeling encouraged, feeling lifted, feeling hopeful, feeling... Like they have a somebody in the trenches with with them that's gonna help them. I'm excited and, and energized to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Legalism is tempting because it works, doesn't it? Think about, you know, as parents, it's easy to want to just go for the rules versus go for the heart, but and in church world, sometimes legalism is helpful, especially if you're coming out of addictions and those types of things. It helps you get the structure and the boundaries, but legalism is, is not long-term effective. Rules and, and re, um, rituals, the externals, eventually, if they don't get to the heart and it doesn't become a love thing, it won't last. The, uh, it's love that is the motive that, that carries us, and we know this is through the, the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we think, I, I've got to control this person or these people, but, you know, we can't, and we, we're not called to control people. We're called to lead people to Jesus Christ and to receive the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the Holy Spirit that people are changed, transformed, and carried into the life that God calls us to. to, uh, calls us to. But he's called us to humbly serve one another, come alongside each other. This doesn't mean abusing liberty or, or ignoring areas that need to be ch- challenged and and called called up on just as Jesus confronts here we're called to confront each other and I think blind spots are tough because we can't see them but aren't you thankful for the people in your life who will speak into your blind spot and today I think you know we have to do this for each other don't we when we see the Pharisee in each other got to call it out gently lovingly usually it happens I thankful for Tam is my, uh, <laughs> John, that, that was condescending. Well, you were just thinking and saying, and, and she calls that out in me, and, and what a gift um, that we can give to each other. But it's not an oppressive legalist, but rather a humble servant, the posture with which we, we interact with each other. What a gift our Lord gives us in this moment. So the challenge of the day is this, confront the Pharisee in me, my tendency to focus on externals, Versus internals. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart, and the great problem of the heart is our pride. But God loves us enough to confront us with some hard truth that's powerful to purify our hearts. As we uh, receive this truth, I think that where's the gospel in this text? Where's the good news in this text? The good news is that we have a Savior who loves us enough to confront us in our self-righteousness, and, and purify lead us into the joy of living with a clean heart right and this we have you noticed how packed the car washes are lately like the last two weekends it's been amazing to drive by and just see these things like why didn't I invest in crew or something but uh but I keep thinking, you know, should I, we drive our car through this, no way am I going to waste time sitting there that long, so I thought I'm going to beat the system this past weekend, I'm going to go early in the morning, after a breakfast meeting, I'm going to buzz over and uh, hit it, and would you believe it was packed in the morning too, (laughs) and it just reminded me of that, why, why is everybody showing up at the car wash, is there a better feeling this time of year than driving up with a car that is just caked with all the grime and grit of February, and pulling up and putting it in neutral, and letting that thing drive into this machine that just sprays all these good-smelling suds and washes, and uh, sprays and rinses and then dries, and you go come into this thing with a messed-up car, and you walk out of this drive out of that just clean as could be. Makes you want to just turn around and do it all over again, doesn't it? (laughs) And think about this text. What a gift God has given us. The possibility of living with a clean heart. If we will humbly accept the hard truths that he gives us. Our God is faithful to purify our heart through his word. The the dirt and the grime of, of pride. And I love the way Jesus, he calls us. He says, come follow me into what? And it's into a life of, of humility and a life of hum, of uh, love, of humble, loving service. He's the one who said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I thought about the closing of this message. I thought Psalm 139, 23, and 24 would be a, a fitting prayer to pray and maybe encourage you to even take this and pray this this week but I'll pray if you would join me in prayer now. Father, we ask that you would search our hearts and even in these moments know our hearts and Holy Spirit, in the way that only you can do, we pray that you would test us, know our anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, I pray that there's anything that would cause you to say woe to me, to us, that, that you would reveal that in these moments. We ask your forgiveness for losing sight of the main thing, for not loving people as we should, not loving you as we should, for the pride that causes us to live for the glory of our name, and for even hurting the people that you've called us to help as we oppose rituals and rules and traditions on them without really desiring to come alongside and help them and love them and serve them. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us in the way of everlasting, the way of life, the way of peace, the way of joy. We thank you for the purifying effect of your word, Lord, and you are so faithful. Thank you for the the possibility of living with a clean heart and just how you are faithful day by day, week by week, to gently purify us. I thank you for your patience. I think of how patient you were with these people that, just uh, rejected you when you were with them and how faithful you are or patient you are with us as well, Lord. We thank you for that. Praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.